My friends, uh, what a trip that must have been for Joseph and Mary to travel the 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem at the order of Caesar Augustus Octavian, the first of the Roman emperors, undoubtedly for tax purposes, demanded that everybody be registered. And so they make that journey, a three-day journey probably, and they trudge along. They had to walk the whole, the whole distance. And as they, they arrive to their destination, and as they come out of the, the valley there that leads up to Jerusalem, that leads toward Bethlehem, and that last uphill climb that they must have had to make, exhausted with their journey, but that last climb up into the city of Bethlehem, they undoubtedly arrived at, in Bethlehem late in the day, Probably why there was no room left for them in the, I don't know it says an inn, but think more like public housing. And I mean public, like one big room and you just find a place for yourself. And uh, no room left for them there. And so uh, uh, Joseph uh, is re, uh, at this point, without, with few options left, is uh, led to the stables in the back of these housing units. And he has to push aside the cattle, the oxen, the mules that would, be, uh, that would be lodged there. And Mary, undoubtedly her labor pains already beginning, perhaps even that last climb up the hill to Bethlehem, uh, brought on this labor. And there Joseph has to make a spot in that cave, in that stable, for Mary to give birth. What a thought to give birth in such a place. And don't forget also that it would have been in the midst of many strangers, right? These are not people that they know. Furthermore, this time of year it would have been cold. No, not like this. But uh, 40 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit probably, roughly, uh, at this time of year in Bethlehem. So cold and, and probably felt colder to them than it would to us. But my friends, here then is the greatest event in human history, isn't it? You have the creation of the world and you have the second coming of Christ on the clouds of heaven. And then in the middle, you have the entrance of God himself into human society, into this ghetto, into this city, into Bethlehem. He comes as a child and he's born. No fanfare, no trumpet sounding, right? Just a baby wrapped in, in swaddling clothes in these strips of cloth and laid in a feeding trough for a bed. And so God makes an entrance into this sin-cursed world. But I said there was no trumpets, no fanfare, and yet that's not entirely true, is it? Because now we have to go, and the, and the text of Scripture takes us to this field where there are these shepherds watching the sheep, probably the sheep meant for the, the temple service. Uh, otherwise, it's not clear why there would have been sheep so close uh, to the city of Jerusalem. But in the field here, you have these shepherds doing their routine work, now, the shepherds, my friends, were a, a, a rather despised uh, group of people. Not a very happy occupation to have because they were pretty much always unclean by the nature of their work, tending to sheep, um, the butchering of sheep, the, the cleaning of, their, of the filth off these animals would have rendered them almost always unclean. They almost never could come into the temple worship because of their unclean status. And yet here they are, tending these sheep. They had to stay up at night because robbers or animals would threaten their sheep. So at least one of them had to stay awake to keep guard on these sheep. 
And my friends, I know we've read these words so many times, but try to put yourself for a minute in the, in the, in the shoes of these men. Dark and a little chilly. And suddenly. And now comes the fanfare, right? Because God himself comes down to earth in the person, or uh, he sends his messenger down in the person of this angel. At first, just a single angel, apparently. And this angel comes down. And we read about that in, in, uh, in these verses. In verse 9, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord. Now remember, my friends, when Moses dedicated the tabernacle and the glory of God came down, the glory cloud, remember? And remember, uh, if you remember many months back when we, we preached on the book of Ezekiel, and remember when God called Ezekiel, the glory cloud of God came, remember, with all the wheels and all the different things that were happening But above it all was the glory cloud of God. And my friend, when God comes down, when God breaks into our life, into our sphere, when he comes down from heaven and when he enters into earth, the glory cloud of God always accompanies it. And that's what happens here. And when this angel, this messenger from God, enters into human life, enters into our realm, as it were, enters the created order, this sin-cursed earth, the glory cloud of God comes down upon that field, those sheep and those shepherds. And can you imagine the horror, the shock that must have come over the minds of these men as they witnessed this? You really can hardly, you really can hardly imagine it. And there then comes the birth announcement of the great king, the Messiah king. Do not be afraid, says the angel, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And there's the word of the angel to these shepherds that I'm going to give you a sign. A sign that the Messiah King has entered into your world. That the greatest event in human history has now taken place. And this is that sign. Go to Bethlehem. Go to those public housing units where the people stay who are travelers. And go behind to where the animals are kept. And there you will find a baby wrapped in cloth. Now that in itself wouldn't be such a sign because every baby would have been wrapped in cloth. Most newborns were at the time, Uh, but there you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a feeding trough in a manger. Now that would have been highly unusual. And that is a sign to you that the Messiah King has been born. And notice, my friends, the words that the angel says, for today in the city of David there has been born for you, for you. Do you hear that language? For you, a Savior. For you, a Savior. This is the birth announcement from the heavenly king about the earthly king. The king that he sent as the Messiah for his people to save them from their sins. And This morning, my friends, I'd like to consider with you then the response that we find in the scriptures to this birth announcement. That's the title of the sermon, Responding to the Announcement of Jesus' Birth. And of course, we want to reflect, of course, 
uh, on what our response is to the birth of Jesus. Well, after the angel makes this announcement, we then read that the sky becomes full of angels. Angels, myriads and myriads of angels. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Oh, that must have been a sight, my friends, that the, that the shepherds, uh, to say that they never could forget it is, is, a, is, is to say too little. Here are these shepherds, and that's the first response then that I want to consider with you. What was the response of the shepherds? Here are these people, my friends, too unclean to enter into the temple, too unclean to enter into God's presence. And my friends, don't forget what's at Jerusalem, because at Jerusalem is the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, the holiest of men. In Jerusalem are the Pharisees, right? The men who dot every I and cross every T of the Jewish law. But God passes them by. And he comes out to the field, to the unclean ones, to the ones who have no right to enter into his worship, who have no right to come into his service. And to them, my friends, to them, the angel makes this unbelievable announcement. And what do the shepherds do? What is the response that we read from the shepherds? Well, we read in verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, and can you imagine, my friends, as these shepherds must have been speaking to each other, each talking through each other, no doubt, and wondering, what just happened? And their response is unanimous. Let's go straight to Bethlehem then. And, and in, the, in the Greek language, it's, let's, let's let us pass through. It doesn't just say go but it's it's let us pass through. It's almost as if we're not even going to stick to the roads. We're just going to charge through the fields and to get to Bethlehem as fast as we can. You can see that our translation tries to capture some of that. It says, let us go straight to Bethlehem. Like They're not even going to stop to take the established roads. They're just going to charge to Bethlehem at top speed and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry, it says, And so, my friends, on the notes there, on the outline I gave you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down next to shepherds, speed, speed. How did the shepherds respond to the birth announcement of Jesus? In the first place, speed. They get up and they fly for Bethlehem. They don't look to the left or to the right. They don't bother to keep to the road. They charge through the fields. I mean, I I almost in my mind's eye, if you're in Bethlehem, and you see this ragtag bundle of shepherds charging out of the charging out of the night, out of the fields, looking for that public housing unit, you might say, and going behind to the stable, and there they see it. There they see the sign that the angel has given them. They see the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a feed trough. And they see the sign. And now they are witnesses, my friends, to this Christ child. And you can imagine that they spoke with Mary and Joseph, that they bowed before this manger, and they believed the sign that the angel had given them. 
One more thing about the shepherds. I told you to write speed, but I want you to also write joy. Speed and joy. Because we read that when the shepherds leave the manger, uh, in verse 18, in verse 9, uh, verse 20, the shepherds went back. Imagine that, my friends. They left all their sheep behind. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Do you see those shepherds, my friends, in your eyes as they return to their sheep? They're singing. They're rejoicing. They're praising God. Now, this is a bit more of a a speculation, perhaps, but but maybe not so much of a speculation, uh, because if it is correct, my friends, that these shepherds were watching the temple sheep, which, which seems fairly certain, then do you think that it might have come into their minds, aye, that maybe these sheep that they were tending were no longer needed? That these bloody sacrifices that they provided the sheep for at the temple day after day were no longer needed? That this great Messiah King was himself the Lamb of God that made all these other lambs and sheep unnecessary? That he was the great sin offering for the sin of the people. And no doubt when they spoke with Mary, right? Because Mary and Joseph had heard already from the angel that he will save his people from their sins as we had in our assurance of pardon today. And perhaps the shepherds shared with them that the angel had told them. Well, I mean, they must have. I mean, I I think that's a certainty. That the angel had told them, for there's good news of great joy which will be for all people. For today in the city of David that has been born for you a Savior. And in these shepherds, in their minds, if they began to think that now no longer did they need these sheep, but that now there was a sin offering that they could come to and in faith take hold of, and all their sins be forgiven them, simply for faith in this Savior. Now again, how much the shepherds knew of all this, right? We know that the Lord led his people along gradually. And yet when we, when we read that they glorified and praised God, right? They glorified and praised God for all that they had heard and seen. Well, my friends, we've seen the response of the shepherds. Speed and joy. Now let's come to Mary. Mary. And my friends, the word that I'd have you write next to Mary is thinker. Mary is a ponderer. She's thinking. She's contemplating. Much more quiet. Not the exuberance of the shepherds, but a woman who thinks and ponders quietly. We read that a number of different places in this text. But let's start with verse 19, where we read that after the shepherds had left, but Mary treasured, or she kept, she preserved all these things, pondering them in her heart. That word pondering, by the way, dear friends, is a word for conversation. A conversation, Mary spoke to herself. She spoke with herself. Right? And I think that all of us know what that is, right? To to talk to yourself, to reason with yourself. The shepherds spoke to each other. Right? There was exuberance. And they all spoke to each other. And they praised and they glorified God. But Mary, she treasures these things up in her heart. 
She speaks to herself. And she's much more contemplative, isn't she? Thinking and pondering, what can all these things mean? And don't forget, my friends, that if you have your Bible and you turn back to chapter 1 and verse 31, that Mary also had seen uh, a vision, or also had received an angelic visit. So you'll remember that uh, in Luke 1 and verse 31, the angel says to Mary, at verse 30, you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And then the angel goes on in response to Mary's question about the Holy Spirit coming upon her. So this already is in Mary's mind. What can this mean? That my child, the child that I'm carrying right now in my womb, is going to sit on the throne of his father David, and he's going to reign forever and ever, and of his kingdom there shall never come an end. What can this mean? Mary had undoubtedly read the Old Testament scriptures. She undoubtedly had a messianic expectation, right? Looking for the Messiah, the great king that would come and liberate the people of Israel. What does this mean? This is my child that I'm carrying? Me? Mary? Just a a poor peasant girl married to a carpenter? What does all this mean? Mary then, after having received that angelic visit, had gone to Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth saw her, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 1 and verse 42, she cried out with a loud voice and said to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting, that is you, Mary, reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And then Mary has her song. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and so on. And so Mary praises God for what he's doing. Now to go back to chapter 2, again we see Mary the thinker, the contemplative. And in Luke 2 and verse 34, Mary, after having given birth to the child and bringing baby Jesus to be circumcised, she meets up with Simeon. And Simeon says to her, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. In other words, many are going to oppose him. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. More stuff to think about. More things to ponder in Mary's mind. And then if you stay in the same chapter... And you go down to verse 51. This is after Mary. Uh, Jesus had grown older. He was 12 years old. He'd gone to the temple with Mary. And we read in verse 50. uh, Remember, he, uh, he stayed behind to discuss things with the elders of the temple there. And Mary finally found him. And, uh, Mary says, why is it that you, or Jesus says to Mary, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And verse 50 says, But they did not understand the statement which we had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And then we have this same comment, And his mother treasured. Luke 2 and verse 51, And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. 
again, Mary's response to the birth announcement of Jesus and Mary's response just to the, the birth of Jesus in general and his growing up is, well, we sing of it. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? I imagine she must have looked down at her child as she held him and thought, who is this baby? What child is this that I'm carrying? And she thinks and she ponders these things in her heart. Well, so much then for the response of Mary, a very different response than the shepherds, a quiet, thinking response. The next one, my friends, I'd like to consider with you is the response of the town's people. Because after the shepherds had left Mary and Joseph, we read in verse 17 that when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Well, here we have another response to this birth announcement. The townspeople, because the shepherds are bubbling over with this news. And no doubt that the next day, as the shepherds returned to their work at the temple, again, assuming that they were watching the temple sheep, they would have told these people, whoever they met, we heard a report from an angel from God that the great Messiah King has been born in a stable in Bethlehem. Well, the response that we get from the townspeople and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Now, my friends, the the ministry of Jesus was always popular. There were always people who were fascinated with the ministry of Jesus. Even at the very end of his life, we read that uh, those who wanted to kill him could not find anything that they might do. They couldn't do anything to Jesus, for all the people were hanging on to every word he said. The ministry of Jesus was popular. right? You can think about when Jesus changed the, the water to wine at Cana of Galilee, right? how people were astonished at that. And it says uh, at that time, let me read this to you from John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, after changing the water to wine, we read in verse 21, uh, so, uh, It's in verse, in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, so this is after the, the water being changed to wine, observing his signs, or in other words, they observed the miracles which he did, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So in other words, Jesus knew that these people were believing in his name, not because they had faith that Jesus would forgive their sins and they needed a savior, but because they were amazed, they were astonished at the miracle which he did. The water being changed to wine and other signs that he did, they were astonished, as any one of us would be, if we saw a miracle take place. They were astonished at what took place. We read later in Acts 18 of Simon the sorcerer, And I'd like to read that to you as well from Acts 8 and verse 13. In Acts 8 
and verse 13, even Simon himself believed, and I guess today we would put quotes around believed, right? Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. And my friends, I would put the townspeople in the same category as these people. The extent of their response to the announcement of Jesus' birth is simple interest and wonder and even astonishment at this news that an angel had appeared to these shepherds and what this angel had said. But my friends, never do we read that their religion, that their response to this announcement ever went beyond interest or wonder or amazement. It never led them as the shepherds to actually go to Bethlehem and to kneel at that manger and to put their faith and their trust in that babe, in that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes there. It never led them as the shepherds to glorify and praise God for all the wonders that he had done. If I can imagine in my own mind, my friends, these people went back to bed that night. Or if it was the next day, they went about their work. Perhaps they talked about it amongst themselves. Perhaps they even argued, could it really be true? Should we really trust these shepherds? Shepherds aren't the most reliable people. Interest. But no faith. They never came to Bethlehem. They never bowed before the Christ child. They never took him in his arms as Simeon did. A response full of interest and amazement, but no faith. Mary sang in her song, My soul rejoices in God my Savior. Simeon said, My eyes have seen your salvation. But these town people, they hear and they go about their business. Well, I leave behind these town people then, and we come in the last place to Herod. By the way, for townspeople, if you're going to write something for townspeople, wonder and interest is what I, the two key words I put there for the townspeople. Wonder and interest. Wonder and interest. I come now to the fourth person, the fourth response, which is Herod. And the key word here is rage. Rage. Here you have to go to Matthew chapter 2. It's not in our chapter in Luke 2, but in Matthew chapter 2, we read that when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. Why, my friends? Well, because Herod also was full of all the rage against the Messiah King. That rage, my friends, finds its origin all the way back in Genesis 3, verse 15. Remember where God said it, I will put enmity between you and the serpent. Herod, my friends, is a child of the serpent. And all the enmity of that serpent, all the enmity of hell 
burns in the soul of this man. And that's why he can't tolerate any king. Now, to what extent did Herod even understand the Jewish hope for a Messiah and the idea of atonement and sin and things like that? Probably not so much. But still, my friends, the serpent used Herod as his tool to stamp out the birth of Christ, to stamp out, ultimately, God's eternal decree of salvation. God had planned to save a people for himself. Sending Jesus into this earth was one step of that plan, in the realization of that plan. And now the serpent strikes, and all the children in Bethlehem have to be struck down and killed because of the rage of the serpent against this Christ. This is, the, this is what's given us also in a very pictorial form, isn't it, in the Revelation chapter 12 that we read as a call to worship today and as we hope to hear tonight, right, where the great dragon is waiting for that woman to give birth so he can swallow up and destroy this child that is going to be born, right? You see that represented very graphically in that chapter in Revelation chapter 12. So, my friends, we see then at the close of these responses, rage, pure, simple rage from Herod as he desires to stamp out, to put an end to God's plan of salvation. Well, my friends, we've seen these four responses then to the birth of Christ. I come in the first place to think of how different these exercises of faith are. My friends, as I understand it, it's only the shepherds and Mary who responded with true saving faith. But what a difference still, isn't it? And I think it's noteworthy as we think about applying these truths. The shepherds respond with great exuberance, with great joy. As they're walking down the road, they're singing and rejoicing and praising God for everything that they had seen. They're telling every person that comes by, hey, did you hear the news? Did you hear this? Hey, did you, you shouldn't see what we saw today, right? And they're, and they're, 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 overflowing with joy and gratitude for God, right? It's a very visible thing. You would have said, what's wrong with those guys over there? What are they doing? What's going on? What happened, right? And and they would tell you the exuberance that they show. And compare that to Mary's quiet contemplation, right? As she sits quietly and she wonders, right? Why, if you looked at Mary, you might think to yourself, Does she really even believe in Jesus? Does she really even have faith? You you, you might wonder. But my friends, God works differently in the lives of his people. God has an infinite variety of ways that he works. Some Christians are more exuberant. They're more like shepherds. They're more like the Pentecostals, okay? I'll throw that term out, right? They're, they're, They're the ones who jump and leap for joy at the grace of God, right? They raise their hands and they're crying out, Amen, right? They, they can hardly hold it in. But you also have the Marys, the quiet, contemplative, dare I say the Reformed people, right? The quiet ones, okay, who keep things into themselves. I remember one of my, one of my brothers at the seminary was marrying a family and, uh, and, he, said, and he said on the one side of the, they, they were marrying somebody not from a Reformed circles and on the one side of the church people were listening and and saying things, and clapping, and calling out, and on the other side was the group of reform people, and he says, I wasn't sure if they were alive, they were just kind of sitting there, you know, and they weren't smiling or doing anything, right, 
But God works in all these different kinds of ways and all these different kinds of people, right? Over here you have the quiet Mary who contemplates and thinks these things through, right? If you wanted to know about Mary's faith, you'd have had to ask. You'd have had to speak with her. Whereas over here you have the shepherds who can't stop shouting and singing and praising God for what they had seen. Now, my friends, just as Mary's quiet faith is no sign that she's not really a Christian or that she doesn't really have faith, right? She did have faith. In the same way, when we talk about the exuberance of the shepherds and the praising and rejoicing in God, is no sign that they have true faith, right? There are people who sing and praise God and then fall away. Again, the critical thing is not the volume, right, or the energy or the activity, The critical thing is faith. Faith. Which brings me to my second application, my friends. This dreadful reality that we see represented in our text by the townspeople whose religion never comes up to that faith in the crucified king. Who wonder, have interest, who are even amazed at the news that they hear. But it never leads them to come to the manger in Bethlehem and to bow there and to put their neck under the yoke of King Jesus. It never leads them, as Simeon and Mary, my soul rejoices in God my Savior. Why, my friends? Why are there people also in our own churches, also in many churches, whose religion never rises above amazement? It never rises to anything above wonder and interest. Why, my friends? Do you remember the story of Pilgrim's Progress? And do you remember, my friends, that when Pilgrim left that city of destruction, he had a burden on his back? Do you remember that? Remember that it was that burden that drove him out of that city because he felt that that burden was going to drag him down to hell, was going to drag him down under God's judgments and wrath. And do you remember that at one time... As he's, as he's running out of that city, that there are two men who follow him. There are two men who follow him. And one of the men, named Pliable, you can hear it in his name, right? He's Pliable. He listens to Christian, and he follows him for a little while until they, they, they both fall into the slough of despond or the swamp, right? And they get dragged down, and at that point, he turns back, and he goes back to the city of destruction, and Christian continues. Why, my friends? May I say it this way? These townspeople had no burden on their back. They had no guilt on their conscience. They had no sense of sin in their life. Their need for a savior, I'm not sure that they felt that so strong. But my friends, these shepherds, these shepherds must have felt a need Why? They they, they didn't say anything. I'll tell you why, my friends. Because they made tracks for Bethlehem as fast as they possibly can. They abandoned their flocks. They charged through the fields to the city of Bethlehem. Why? My friends, because the angel had said to them, For you, a Savior. And a Savior was what they needed. More than anything else in the world, they needed a Savior from their sin. The burden on their back, my friends, drove them to Bethlehem. The townspeople had no such burden. And so they listened with simple interest. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I would have liked to have seen that. Wow. 
but never to come with all the burden of their sin to the manger at Bethlehem and to bow before that Savior, my friends. What difference does a Savior make to someone who has no sense of their need for it? But Mary, she ponders these things in her heart and she says in her song, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. And of course, Herod, well, that's a whole other issue, isn't it? It certainly had no sense of sin at all. Well, my friends, that's the dreadful reality. The dreadful reality in my second point is that there are people, my friends, is it, is it us this morning? Let's be honest with ourselves. Is our celebration of Christmas just a matter of trees and lights and gifts and family celebrations, all precious and wonderful things? And maybe we read the, the Bethlehem story. But my friends, then this brings me to my third point, our celebration of Christmas must begin on our knees before that feeding trough, on our knees before that manger, from our soul's need for a Savior, from the sense of sin that shows me that I deserve something completely different, that I come to this Savior, to this one who was born into our sin-cursed world, and I need him. I, I must have him. Foul I to the fountain fly, said Top Lady, the hymn writer. Wash me, Savior, or I die. What a difference, my friends. What a difference when such people celebrate Christmas, who out of their own soul's need come to that manger to find forgiveness from all their sin, who as Simeon can take that child in his arms and say, Lord, mine eyes have seen your salvation. That's what the Christ child was to him, my friends, his salvation. It was nothing else, just his salvation. And so, my friends, I, I, I point you this, this morning. This is where we must begin. This is, my friends, where it is our privilege to begin. That for those who are gathered with us this morning and feel that burden on your back, that sense of sin that can only be resolved by a Savior, then this morning, my friends, I may say to you, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. How will you respond to that this morning, my friends? How will you respond to the news that there is a Savior in Bethlehem? My friends, I'm going to fall in with those shepherds, and I'm going to get to Bethlehem as fast as I can. And I know that you'll be with me. And we'll bow before that manger, and we'll find our life and our salvation in that child. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, among men with whom he is pleased. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, and pray that you would give us grace in our hearts to come and to find in that child salvation. To take him in our arms by faith, and to lift him up, and to say, my eyes have seen your salvation, O Lord. Lord, I pray that if there, is, if there is possibly a Herod amongst us who has hatred and rage against Christ, Lord, I pray that you would break that anger this morning and give them faith in the Savior. But Lord, if there are perhaps townspeople here who simply wonder, who perhaps have interest in this child. And Lord, we pray for the many, many thousands all around us 
for whom, Christi- for whom Christmas is an empty holiday. Because Christ is not at the center of it. Well, God, we pray that you would come with power into our society. And that you would bring people to see the burden that's on their back. The burden that must end ultimately in their own destruction. Unless they find their salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the Marys amongst us who quietly contemplate these things and who wonder and perhaps have many questions. Lord, I pray that they too might find the answer, the resolution to all these issues in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for the shepherds amongst us, Lord, who rejoice and praise and glorify God. Lord, I pray that their zeal for you would continue, that it would never fade, and that one day we might all together, Marys and the shepherds alike, gather before your throne and rejoice in God our Savior forever and forever. Lord, give us a good and happy day together. This is the happiest day of the year. Lord, we are mindful that there are also those in our midst who look at their family circle and who see empty places and who are reminded of the grief that they felt when you took from them their loved one, their husband, their wife, their children, whoever it may be. Lord, I pray that you would be the God of all comforts to them this day, that this first coming of Christ would remind us also of your second coming when we shall see our loved ones once again and be reunited with them in the heavenly glory. Lord, may we, may we spend this day, may we fill this day with the angels' cry, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands and pray for your blessing to be upon us. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's turn in the blue hymnal and sing number 340. Angels from the realms of glory. And in verse 2, shepherds in the fields abiding, watching o'er your flocks by night, God with man is now residing. Yonder shines the infant light. Come and worship. So let's sing the five verses of number 340 in the blue hymnal. 